Welcome to the Achievable FINRA Podcast. I'm Tyler, founder of Achievable, and we have affordable FINRA courses for the FINRA SIE, Series 6, 7, 63, 65, and 66 exams with industry best pass rates. Each Achievable course includes everything you need to pass the first time. A full textbook, videos on key topics, thousands of questions backed by our memory-enhancing algorithm, and full-length practice exams. You can try any course out for free by visiting achievable.me, and if you like it, be sure to use the code PODCAST to save 10% at checkout. Also, if you have a question or topic you'd like us to discuss in a future episode, please contact me at tyler at achievable.me with the subject line podcast topic. Now, let's get started. Today, we have Ibis Prep on the line with us and uh, Andrew and Jason. So if you guys can introduce yourselves and talk about your experience in the FINRA world, that would be great. Maybe Andrew, if you want to Go ahead, Andrew. Kick yeah. it off. Thank you very much. I wasn't sure if it was going to be uh, me or Jason to go first. <laughs> um, so I'm the owner and founder of Ibis Prep. We uh, are a test prep company for every subject under the sun. Um, our goal is to revolutionize education one student at a time. We started our business by focusing on higher education and professional licensing exams which includes the Series 7, 66, and the SIE, which is a um, department that was started by Jason and I. And we've, over the years, developed our own materials. We do one-on-one tutoring. And we've had a lot of success with helping people um, pass the different exams. We do the Series 6, 63, 65 as well. So um, we really have a lot of experience with the securities exams. And then I personally teach for the Florida and California bar exams, which are the exams necessary to become an attorney. And then um, we do the LSAT, the GMAT, the GRE, the SAT, the ACT, um, K through 12 subjects, all languages. We're based here in Miami, Florida, and we do live tutoring here in Miami, Florida and virtual tutoring worldwide. So I have a JD MBA degree from the University of Miami, and I'm just a big proponent of education and helping students. I passed the SIE and the Series 7 on the same day in uh, December 2018, I believe, and then passed the 66, and I recognized them to be very difficult exams, just like the bar exams were very difficult. So I knew that there was potential to help a lot of people, and I found the best instructor in the universe, uh, Jason, and together we've <laughs> created this awesome department, and uh, we have the pleasure of being on this show today. It's it's. It's really a pleasure. So that's my story. And I know I gave you quite the intro, Jason. So, but <laughs> Yeah, thanks for that. Appreciate that. So um, my name is Jason. I'm actually the uh, the lead tutor and, and kind of main person of the, the securities department for Ibis Prep. And um, Andrew and I have been doing this for, for some years now. I probably have tutored hundreds of students at, at this stage of the game, but uh, in in my real life, not at a tutor. Tutoring is kind of uh, something that I've I've done on the side, but um, but what I do every day is I'm a, I'm a financial planner, and I've been a financial mm-hmm. planner for for 23 years. Um, currently, run a very large practice um, at Ameriprise Financial here in Coral Gables, Florida, um, and have done that practically my entire career. So I've I've been in the securities industry almost from go. I had a couple of years where I was a, I was an insurance agent doing industrial life insurance, those kinds of things. So I have you know a, a background in life insurance as well. And, 
Um, but my my main career or now twenty over twenty three years, almost twenty six really, I think if I'm counting, um, has been in financial services. So Yeah. Yeah, well fantastic. So that means you have probably fielded the uh, occasional options question or two, right? <laughs> that's, I trade them every the... day actually. I do cover call writing every day. <laughs> oh nice. Yeah, that's one of the things we're gonna talk about today, right? Um exactly. it's a big part of the, the FINRA SIE series seven in particular is. is where it really shows up. Uh our <laughs> our options and options trading strategies, right? Yep. We're talking covered calls, you yep. know, income strategies, hedging strategies, etc. Got it. Uh and so I'd love if if you I think like we were talking about this before the call, we wanted to kind of start from the basics and then work our way up to the more complex strategies. Okay. I feel like just doing a total overview of options would be a really good way to spend our time today. Okay. So, you know, options are, are just that. You know, I always tell everybody, you know, an option's a contract. And, mm-hmm. you know, with a contract, you, you have to have a buyer and a seller. I mean, simple as that. There's no contract if you don't have both sides of the fence. So, and the objective with options is to understand what's happening on both sides of the fence. So, if you can do that, mm-hmm. it'll make your life so much easier when it comes to trying to understand you know, this almost counterintuitive instrument, because for some people, right. it's like, well, how can we make money, you know, if a stock's going down? Well, we can buy a put. What? And they're like, what do you mean? You make money when a stock goes down. We're supposed to make money when stock goes up. Well, yeah, that's it's a strategy. So, so you know, the basics of options, as we all know, we have calls and we have puts. and We can either be long or short those calls or puts, so meaning that we can buy calls or sell mm-hmm. calls or we can buy puts. And sell puts. So if if we're buying a call, right, we always use the analogy call up, right, to put down. And, <laughs> you know, when, when we call somebody up, we want the stock, if we're buying a call, we want the stock to go up. Because if the stock goes up, then we'll be profitable as a buyer of that call. Right. Because, you know, our anticipation of buying that call is that the stock will go up. So that's kind of step one. And then if we're buying a put, right, put, we want it to go down. Like I said, call up, put down. So, you know, with with that, you know, kind of mentality, that's where everybody kind of gets a little goofy because they're like, well, if I buy a put and the stock goes down, I can make money. And the answer is, yeah, you can, you can certainly do that. Absolutely. So, and that leads into other strategies like hedging and those kinds of things. But we also have to talk about selling options. Because not only can we buy them, we can also sell them. So we can own the stock and write a call, right? Covered call writing. And mm-hmm. we do that to, to generate income. And, you know, so if we're selling a call, what do we really want to do? Well, remember, the difference being is we've, we've got this fence, so to speak, in the middle. And we need to understand what's happening on, on both sides. So anybody who's a buyer, right? Buyers always want to exercise their option contracts. That's their goal, right? Because if they're they're exercising their contracts, they're in the money, so to speak. And that means they're profitable, right? (laughs) By definition. Right? They're they're profitable. (laughs) So so as a result of of being profitable, um, you know, we want to exercise it because that's where we can, you know, put it to the seller and say, hey, you know, you owe us the stock at this price and here we go. So we can make our profit, and, you know, run down the street with our money. So when we're buying, right, the objective of buying is to exercise. But when we're selling option contracts, 
we always want the option to expire worthless is the goal. Right. And, and the reason being is, of course, because the, the maximum gain that a seller will always have on an option contract is the premium. That's what yep. they collect. So they charge a premium to the buyer to say, listen, I will sell you this contract for, you know, $300 a contract. Okay, great. That's the agreed upon price. He pays the $300, $300 for the one contract because he only wants to buy, let's say, one call. And off we go. Mm-hmm. So if that call doesn't do what the buyer expects it to do and go up, but either goes down or stays below the strike price, then, you know, lucky for us as the seller, we get to keep 100% of the premium. That's the ideal situation for a yeah. seller. So, you know, buyers, like I said, they always want to exercise. And sellers always want the option to expire because that's where they'll have the maximum profit on the sale of an option contract. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the reverse of a covered call is selling a put, basically, right? You want that put to expire without getting exercise as well. Exactly. So anytime we sell, right, the objective is to make sure that whatever is, is supposed to happen doesn't. So mm-hmm. that we can keep the keep the premium. I mean, that's the objective of sellers is to keep the premium. I always say that to everybody when when we're going through it is, you know, sellers want to keep the premium. That's their mm-hmm. job because that's the most they're going to get. They can't make any more money than that. And for every tick that option contract, either for a call goes up or for a put goes down, they're losing money. They're they're taking money out of their profit. Right. And they don't want that to happen. So that's why, again, you got, you got to, you got to strategize, of course, when you're choosing your strike prices and looking at where the stock has been or where it's potentially going to go, maybe doing some technical, you know, analysis, which is, is possible. A lot of people, a lot of options traders use technicals. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, like I said, the, the simplest form of it is, is I think buyers, you know, always want to exercise and sellers always want the option to expire worthless so they can keep the premium, which is their maximum profit. Right, exactly. And that kind of leads us nicely into the income strategies kind of portion of it, right? Because essentially, I mean, one of the ways to play options is basically gambling, right? Where you're like, I think Tesla's going to be 120 tomorrow, and you buy a call <laughs> for that price, and yeah. you see if you're right or not, right? Like, yeah. so that's kind of... How in- crazy is Elon Musk acting today, right? Let's, what are we going to do, right? So Right, exactly. Um, and, and also... You know, you capture a lot more value off of that move, right? Let's say we go, I don't know what Tesla is today. It's probably around like one, 100 to 110. Yep. If it moves from 110 to 120 and you own a share of Tesla, you get, you know, plus $10 per share, right? right. To go from 110 to 120. But if you buy a call option and it goes from 110 to 120, there's a very good chance you're making a multiple of that exactly. on, on that option, right? Exactly. So it, it's kind of higher stakes but also, you know, bigger wins and losses relative to a stock price movement. Um, So then the flip side of this whole dynamic is the income strategy part where you can sell your covered calls. Right. And I actually, I'm, I'm less familiar with selling puts, so I'd be interested in hearing about that. Um, But you can sell, if you, let's say you own a Tesla share and you sell an option to buy that share, that's called a covered call because you have the stock to cover it. Correct. If you don't have the stock to cover it, it's naked, which can sometimes put you in a really bad spot if things go 
very badly not your way. Correct. Um, but in you know, for the sake of generating income, though, it can be a really viable strategy. It can, and and you know, uh, it's it's a very useful tactic. Like you know, then we, we do a lot of like I told you, I do a lot of covered call writing simply because you know we have clients that want to own the stock. But then what we'll do is we'll go out and we'll write some calls on it because we want to generate you know some income in the event that between where the the client purchased the stock and what the strike price is, you know, on the option contract, if we can kind of be smart about what we're doing and kind of understand that, you know, if we can stay within that zone, so to speak, then, you know, what it does is it, it gives us profit on the stock. And then it also gives us, you know, profit on the call option because it'll, you know, hopefully stay below the strike price or, you know, at the strike price if we can do that. So, it's just right. another strategy that you can use to, you know, enhance a client's portfolio, kind of add a little bit more in terms of value to the portfolio over time for clients who, who literally like to buy and hold. Like those, those are great strategies for clients who do like to buy and hold. And, mm-hmm. you know, we do that a lot. And then the other side of it is like you said, you know, if we, if we own in, in the case of the, the covered call, you own the stock, like you said. So you have the shares, you write the calls. And, you know, the other side is you say, if you don't have the shares, you can still write a call if you want. Firms don't like that because there's a lot of risk involved. That's a level four option trade. And most clients don't understand level four options. I hate to say it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, writing naked calls. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a huge risk, but there's also potentially, you know, huge profit as well if, if you call it right. So... It, it, it's kind of a give yeah. and take, but you know, the, the safer strategy, you know, is, is what we call covered call writing. And that's, again, we're trying to add income to the client's portfolio by selling those calls it means we're bullish on the stock. So, and then of course, the other side of that is if, if we're short the stock, right. To create income, we would sell a put. So mm-hmm. that means we don't own the stock, right. But we're shorting it. Why? Because we, we anticipate that the value of the stock is going to go down, right? So if the stock goes down and we sell a put, right, then what happens? Nothing. Nothing. Exactly, <laughs> right? So it's it's one of those things where we get to keep the income, right? That's the idea. So, But you don't – what's funny is we, we see a lot more covered call writing in the world than we do covered put writing. Right. And, and, and again, the reason being is because we know with puts, you know, the stock can only go to zero, right? So there, there's a limited space in terms of where that put can go. Where with call options, it's unlimited. The stock, you know, sky's the limit, so to speak. Right. So we, we see a lot more covered call writing than we do with, you know, covered put writing, so to speak. But, you know, the, yeah. the good thing about, about income is that when, when we're creating income, we're always selling the option contract. And that's the mm-hmm. trick. That's the thing to remember for the exams. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, um, you know, I always like to take it back to the exam. You guys are talking about your, you know, big strategies. But for me, I remember one of the toughest things about understanding options, and especially when I taught it to people who were working at Allstate or, you know, these insurance companies who had no financial background, it came down to the vocabulary. Right. Like you guys are talking about naked, you know, covered calls and naked calls. And I'm like, hold up. A lot of students don't even understand what it means to be long 
or to be short and they don't know True. what a call right. is or what a put is. And so, you know, you're too deep into the woods. I just want to make sure that anyone listening understands that to long means to buy and to short mm-hmm. means to sell. And then to a call is the option to buy. So if you long a call, you're buying the option to buy. And if you long a put, you're buying the option to sell. And then that short word means to sell. But people get confused. This is a very common thing that people get confused with is the difference between shorting a stock and shorting an, an option, right? Because they right. think, yeah, maybe you, one of you guys can explain that, the difference between shorting a stock and shorting an option. Yeah, oh, so I mean, go ahead, ahead, Jason. Go ahead. No, go, go, ahead, ahead. go ahead. Go, go ahead, ahead, Tyler. <laughs> All right, well, so the way, I mean, covered calls is a good way to explain it in my point of view, which is um, if you have a share of Tesla and you sell it, you have sold it, <laughs> right? Like you are short Tesla, meaning you have a share of Tesla. You say, I think this is going to go down. That's what short means. So you're like, I'm going to sell this thing because I don't want my value to decrease. So you're bearish. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And everyone, so then, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, so then selling an option though is a little different because essentially what you're doing is you're selling that idea to somebody else. Like you're selling, you're, you're saying, I think Tesla is actually going to be fine, but somebody else out there thinks it's going to go down and I'm going to sell them the right to buy this at a certain price. But I actually think that I'm just going to collect the money I sold that right to them for without actually having to move my stock. Right. So what's interesting to people to, to realize is that you can short a put and that's actually a bullish position. Even though you're right. selling something, you want the stock to go up so that you can retain the income. So I think, I think that's interesting. For me, when I was studying for the, the exams, options was the hardest thing to grasp at first. Cause I was like, right. what? This is Chinese. But then once you understand it, it's actually like the best thing on the test because it's just like simple math and you know the definite answer. Once you, I think it's good to have those charts and kind of see, you know, max loss, max gain, infinity, or whatever it may be. And once you kind of put that all in your head, you start loving options questions. And then I guess this is where the conversation is going. The series seven really tests uh, some advanced strategies, you know, the horizontal vertical spreads. And you have to understand the basics before you can understand the advanced strategies. But then the advanced strategies are not so advanced. It's just like the natural progression of of how the, you know, almost chess pieces would work. But I like, mm-hmm. I, I, I came to like options because when you know the language, they're simple to understand. And it's kind of like gambling, you know, I would always explain it to my students, like buying a lottery ticket, you know, you buy the ticket, you pay the premium, you're never going to get that money back. And if you scratch it off and win, well, you're going to get the money, but you're going to have to consider that you paid premium, you paid for the price of the lottery ticket. And so once mm-hmm. I kind of like, rationalize it in that sense and saw that in a lot of ways people are gambling in the stock market more or less with options and then you saw a lot of this wall street bets thing going on in the game style well, yeah literally literally yeah <laughs> literally yeah so it's just interesting to me but i think you know of all the topics on the series seven options is one that people uh freak out the most and have the most difficulty with but it's something that you can truly master and get every single question right because it's mathematical. It's not like, uh, what's the best answer? It's like the answer is three. That's your maximum gain on it. So 
I don't know. I tend right. to like options, but maybe you guys can help me remember, you know, horizontal and butterflies and some of those more advanced. <laughs> well, we haven't gotten here yet. We got to get there first. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. But I think that is, it is probably the next thing we're going to talk about. Just, just to wrap this section up though, you know, I think it's, I think just like the definitions are important, right? So make sure you understand long, short, what buying and selling calls means, right? What buying and selling puts means like it is kind of like math where a negative times the negative is a positive. So if you're selling a put, that's a bullish signal, right? Like just make sure you've got all that stuff straight in your head before you even look at the hedging strategies and things like that, because all they'll do is confuse you if you don't have the basics down. Yeah. I used and, to I, t- and I think too, you know, going back to what Andrew said about, you know, the long and long, when we're long a stock, that means we own it. But mm-hmm. when we're long an option, it means we're buying the option contract. And mm-hmm. when we're short a stock, that means we're, you know, we're, we don't own the stock. But when we're short an option, it means we're selling an option. And I think too, there's a lot of confusion sometimes with the difference between equities and options when it comes to just those simple terms, because they're used, you know, almost interchangeably, but they don't mean the same thing. Yep. So when, yeah, for me with options, this is how I, Remembered it, long call bullish. Once I remember that a long call was bullish, you can just play with it. And you're like, okay, if a long call is bullish, well, then a long put has to be bearish. All right, let's go back to long call. If a long call is bullish, then a short call has to be bearish. And you can kind of just like always frame yourself. If you just remember that a long call is bullish and then play with the long and short and the call versus put, you can kind of put it all together, even if you don't remember the other ones. Just long call is bullish and like Tyler was saying, that like negative, negative thing. If you're short a put, that's actually going to be a bullish proposition. And the other thing too that I think is awesome that for people who don't know is where bullish and bearish comes from, right? Like a lot of people don't know. They just hear these terms and they, they never know that like bullish is how the bull attacks, you know, it goes up like that. And then a bear is the claws come down. So it's good to think of these fun points of learning options. Yeah. No, I didn't know that actually about the bull and bear. I just thought it was an old thing that had been around forever. Yeah, um, yeah, it's funny. So let's let's move on to uh, the the trading strategies that you alluded to a little bit, uh, Andrew. And these are going to be tested probably more on the series seven, but you should probably know what they are for the SIE. You might get a hedging question in there. Um, and I'm curious, Jason. Uh, you know. I think you'd probably be the best person to outline these in, in terms, terms of, of, of hedging. Yeah, in terms of the hedging strategies. Yeah, I think, you know, when when we talk about hedging, you know, I always use the word insurance because that's really what it is. Yep. And, you know, when, when we hedge, we're protecting is what we're doing. We're protecting a position on the stock that we have. So, you know, like we had said before, if we're long a stock, that means we own the stock, Right. In this case, we would be long a put. We would buy a put. So see how those two terms are used interchangeably, but they don't mean the same thing? So mm-hmm. when it comes to hedging, what, what I always tell you know my students is that we always want to take the opposite of the position in the stock that we have. So if we're long the stock, that means we want the stock to go up. So when we hedge, we need to protect ourselves in the event the stock goes down. So mm-hmm. how do we do that? We have to buy a put, right, to do that. So if the stock drops, and what the put will do is it will offset the losses that we have in the stock. 
Mm-hmm. And then the same goes if we're short the stock, right? So if we're shorting the stock, that means we don't actually own the stock, but we're making a contract with the firm to borrow it from somebody else and anticipate that that stock's going to go down in value. And mm-hmm. we will profit if it goes down in value. Well, if the stock doesn't do that, in order to insure ourselves or protect ourselves in the event the opposite happens is we would buy a call so that if Mm -hmm. the stock goes up, then what happens is the money that we would lose on the short position would be covered by basically the insurance in the option contract that we have to cover those gains as losses on a short, short, uh, short position. So, right. It, so, it is literally functioning like insurance, right? Because you're is. paying a fixed amount, which is the premium of the yeah. option. You got it. And the idea is basically if something terrible happens and the price moves <laughs> in the exact yeah. opposite direction that you want, yeah. you're at least going to get some money back, right? Yeah. And that's, you know, I always say to my students, listen, why do you buy car insurance? And they just kind of think for a minute, I don't know. I don't know. Just in case, right? You might not use it. But because you buy it just in case. And the well, same goes for, for hedging with options is we buy those option contracts just in case. And yeah. Jason, in Florida, it's uh, you have to buy car insurance. Or Listen, you- I'm, uh, I'm I mean, touring have- people in Georgia and New York and Cal. Listen, it's not like that everywhere, man. I've got some – I got clients that were – I had one in Ireland at one point. So, yeah. Kidding, the other kidding. thing too is uh, as someone who's had this happen – you kind of think car insurance is BS and a waste of money until someone comes out of nowhere and totals your car, no fault of your own. And you're like, yeah. thank God I had car insurance, right? right? Or you have like a huge, like a drive by. Like I came back to my, my car one night in San Francisco and some guy who was driving a getaway car, I actually talked to a cop about it, Ugh. had just like ripped the back half of my car off, oh my like God. completely, because he was going down a big hill and he lost control. Um, and you know, I was never going to get that money back unless I had insurance. So it, this is the same thing with options. You only have to be wrong once yep. with an uncovered or unhedged option to lose a painful amount of money. Correct. Well, That's you me. were talking earlier about Tesla and I was looking at it, you know, just happened to be, I think they're down 66% in the last year, 365 days. So if yeah. you, you know, had calls on Tesla and they weren't covered or if you, you know, were only bullish on Tesla and didn't have any sort of insurance, could have been a very rough year for you. Yeah. Well, and the other yeah. thing too about, you know, these types of, of contracts, like when we're, when we're selling or, or buying, right? We always talk about having the, the buyer and the seller, right? Each side of the fence. Well, what's interesting is, you know, there are some stocks that, you know, when you go to sell an option, nobody wants it. That does mm-hmm. happen. And, you know, it, it, it actually happened to me today with, I had a client that wanted to, sell an option contract on a very small, you know, micro cap company. And, you know, I kept telling him, listen, he goes, well, what's, you know, what's the bid and ask? I'm like zero to $5. And then what's the next one? Zero to zero. There's no market for it. So there are cases, you know, where, where you could put an option contract out there and nobody wants to buy it because <laughs> <laughs> they think you're totally, totally, totally like way out left field. So, <laughs> Yeah, the, gotta, the market does involve people at the end of the day. I think it that does. with like Robinhood and everything else, it becomes a lot easier to think of the market as a little app on your phone that you're Correct. playing with. But someone on the other end is buying the other half of whatever you're doing yep. every right. time. That's there right. Is, it's, a lot of times it's an institution, but 
Yeah. <laughs> like it's, there's gotta be someone buying the thing or selling the thing that you're selling or buying. And in most um, cases there's a market for it. So, right. Exactly. So then, uh, you, you mentioned like, you know, Andrew mentioned a couple of like, you know, horizontal and vertical strategies and things like that. But, um, how would you kind of teach the different common types of these strategies, Jason? Well, you know, we're in, in those cases, when we're talking about, you know, horizontal diagonals. Those are spreads, you know, and basically what a spread is, it's, it's a sale and purchase of two options of what we call the same class, but a different series, right? So we're, we're buying and selling, you know, Apple stock, right? So there's, there's three ways to look at, it, right? We could have a, what's called a vertical spread, right? Vertical meaning going up and down, right? Mm -hmm. So when I say that, I say vertical meaning going up and down because what happens? What goes up and down? Price goes up and down, right? Mm -hmm. So we know that when we're talking about a spread that the strike prices for what we're buying and selling for the same stock are going to be different, right? So we're, we're going to buy a call on Apple at, let's say, strike of 40, and then we're going to sell a call on Apple with a strike of 50. So... As a result of doing that, we know that that's a vertical spread because those two strike prices are the only difference in those two contracts. Everything else is the same. Expiration month, they're both calls, and it's the same stock. So so with vertical, I always tell everybody it goes up and down, right? There's also horizontal, right? Horizontal, I say, goes left and right, right? Because it's how we read a calendar, right? We read the calendar from left to right. We look at a calendar, like the you know, like the old calendars we have on the wall. I'm an old guy, so you know, we used to put calendars <laughs> on the wall and write on. They're not on our phones, I, you know. But but again, even when you look on your iPhone, the calendar is there. You read it week to week from left to right, right, horizontally. So in the same same instance, we're going to buy right one call on Apple that may expire in December. Right, third Friday in December, because that's of course all option contracts expire on the third Friday. There are weekly options, but for purposes of the test, they're not looking at weekly options. Every option will expire on the third Friday of the month. So, mm -hmm. so let's say you know one strike for the buy side is December, and then we're going to sell you know another call for September. Right, strike prices are the same, forty and forty, but the months are different. So if the two months in the two contracts are different in the spread, then we know that that is a horizontal spread, right? Because right. we're looking at it on the calendar. And then the, the last one is what we call a diagonal, right? Which is a little bit of both, where yep. the month and the strike for each contract is going to be different from one another. So, you know, the first one might be September of 40. You know, we're going to buy a, an Apple put, right? We can Because remember, we're going to either be buying calls or buying puts when it comes to spreads, right? So when we, you know, when we look at those types, or for example, we're going to be buying, we can be buying and selling, but, you know, but when we buy, it's the month and the strike price of each contract will be different. And that's how yeah. we go to diagonal. So, right. And so then I'd love to just go over like, what is the purpose of each of these types of spreads, right? Like the vertical spread, you're basically hoping, are you hoping for volatility? Are you hoping for it going really hard one way or the other and you win either way? Or like, what's the, what's the strategy there? 
it, it could, you know, it depends on the client, really. I hate to say that, but but for purposes of the test, you know, when it comes to verticals, you've got two strike prices, right? So let's say we have one at 40 and one at 50. So ideally, you know, we're going to be in the money on one of them if the stock goes above 40, right? Mm-hmm. But ideally, what we really are, are trying to do is we're trying to anticipate that the stock will be more volatile and that it will go above what that second strike price is so that we can kind of double up, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Because if we're buying, let's say we're buying a call at 40, right? Then anything over 40, we're good, right? But if we're selling, right, the other call at 50, well, we want that call to stay below 50. So we're, we're probably anticipating some relative volatility, but not a ton because we want the range to be somewhere between 40 and 50. Because right. if it's between 40 and 50, we're going to make money on both. And yep. that's the objective. And the same goes for, you know, the horizontals where it's looking at it over the months where you might have one expiring this month and the other expiring next month. But we don't expect a lot of volatility. So that's why we do that. Um, and then diagonals, it's it's a little bit of both, too. So I, I would say that the one that's probably the the more conservative is the is the vertical one because you've got that range that you have to operate in. I think a question that everyone wants to know is what's the difference between a spread and a straddle? Okay. So spreads, right? We're buying and selling, right? Two options, same class, different series. A straddle, and and I know it's kind of crazy how I've always remembered this, is every time I see the word straddle, I think of a cowboy sitting on a horse, right? Yeah. And we're, we're buying a call and a put, Right. Or we're selling. So it's either buying or selling. We're not buying and selling. And that's yeah. the difference between, you know, a straddle and a spread is with a spread, we're buying and selling, right? Same class, different series. But with a straddle, we're buying a call and a call or we're buying a put and a put. And what's the significance of it being a, a debit or credit uh, call spread or, you know, these words that, that I remember. Yeah. And, and when that, that's only with spreads, right? So when we talk about being a debit or credit, what, what it means is basically what we look at is we look at the, the buy side and the sell side of a spread, right? So with the buy side, if we're, if we're paying more to buy the option, then we're collecting in premium as a writer, then that's a debit spread, meaning that we're putting more money out than we're collecting in, so to speak. That's a debit spread. So if it's, you know, a debit spread, how do we how do we determine like, you know, again, break even, right? That's always another question everybody asks is, you know, there's 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 this thing I always say, it's called Cal and Pish, right? C-A-L and P-S-H, right? So for call spreads, you know, to determine the break-even points on those spreads, we add the what the net premium is. So that's basically the net, right? So what did we pay versus what we got in to the lower strike price? And that's for a call spread. For a put spread, we subtract the net premium from the higher strike price, right? So call add to the lower, which is CAL, and PSH, which is put, subtract from the higher, the net premium. And... You know, it's like you said, debit versus credit. So debit, again, like I said, we're, we're, we're putting more money out as a buyer than we're collecting in premium on the, on the side that we're writing. And then a credit spread is the exact opposite, meaning that we're collecting more premium 
on the right side of the contract, W-R-I-T-E, right? Then we're putting out on the buy side. So that's what's called a credit spread, meaning that we have more money coming in than going out. Right. And I would say, is it fair to say that if you're on a credit spread, you maybe don't want those options to hit? And then if you're on a debit spread, you do? Uh, I mean... Yeah, but remember too, typically with the spreads, we're looking at that range, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, if we're buying a, I don't know, Apple November 90 call, right? And we're selling an Apple November 80 call, right? We're going to look at that lower strike because what we have to look at is what what are we collecting, right? If it's a credit, debit, right? But if it's call spread, we look at that dominant lay, right? So that's the other side of, of spreads is they always talk about you know, the test, these dominant legs, or how do we determine what's dominant? And if it's a call spread, the dominant leg will always be the lower strike price. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Right? Because again, if it's a call spread, the lower the strike, the potential for more gain, correct? Right. So, and then for put spreads, dominant leg is going to be determined by the higher strike. Why? Because that strike price is farther away from zero, right? Because if it's a put, we want the stock to go down. So mm-hmm. we want to make as much money as we can on a put spread. So as a result, we pick the higher strike and then subtract the net premium from that to give us what, what our break-even strike price would be that we would, you know, be break-even, so to speak, where we would have no profit, no loss, Right. But anything below that for a put or anything above that for a call, you know, we would be profitable. Did that answer the question? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> like, like to go back to Andrews, it's, 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 it's also like kind of tough to visualize this stuff without like it some, is. something it is. in it's front of you. It's easier to see it like on a whiteboard, but we don't have that, um, unfortunately. But to go back to Andrews lottery ticket analogy, if you're buying a call, you're just buying like a lotto ticket for that one stock. But doing like a, a hedging strategy like this, doing, you know, a, a like a vertical or or horizontal or whatever, mm-hmm. like a vertical is like saying, I think the lotto number is going to be between mm-hmm. 50 and 65. And then if it is, you know, <laughs> you did well, right? And then Correct. the rever- you know, the horizontal is like, I think it's going to be above 50 on t- today and above 50 on Tuesday. Right. Or next <laughs> month, then, for example, right? Right. Or next month. Monthly, so. Um, At least for and, the test it is. And so you're kind of, it's like you're putting bookends on where you think the price will go. And like you're, if it crosses that bookend, depending on how you set it up, that's either like good for you or bad for you. No, that's a great analogy. Right. So a very sophisticated, well-studied options trader is more or less a lottery ticket gambler. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's a professional poker player. And, right. Um, yeah. yeah. They're online poker, whatever you want to call it. They're they're yeah, basically legalized gambling. So, yeah, and it's it's and it's an interesting universe. It's it's legalized gambling on American companies, mm-hmm. which you know have their own input into the equation, which is their earnings. So it's like, yep, it's an interesting little uh, dynamic. Anything we're uh, we're I think we're doing pretty good on this episode. Is there anything else you guys wanted to cover before we wrap it up? Um, you know we. We love options. We have uh, our own option sheets, option materials. It would be great, you know, if we could, you know, uh, see what you guys have and you could see what we have and maybe just, you know, talk about not not here on on this 
session, but just in general in the future, ways we can collaborate and just help everyone understand options. Because to me, it's like the one part of the exam you can totally master and guarantee that you're going to get every one of those questions right. Very important to to understand. But it's also one of those questions where I've I've had sessions where I'm teaching the student and they're just looking at me like, what in the world are you talking about? And so, you know, it's, it's important. Well, I think you're right. I think, I think it's about the vocab, right? Like I was thinking about it when Jason was going over, you know, like selling short versus selling a share and how those have opposite meanings. I mean, I think that, um, I think that like, if you look at uh, a call as a positive bet, positive direction bet and a put as a negative direction bet and it's like i'm buying a positive bet i'm selling a positive bet i'm buying a negative bet i'm selling a negative bet it starts to make a little bit more sense as to what's going on and yeah i think when you're learning it it might be helpful to just kind of substitute those kind of words to me and like substitute long and short for you know bullish bearish or whatever you want what and on the test they They'll use them interchangeably. They'll say, Andrew is long a put or Andrew buys a put. You know, they kind of just use the vocab uh, and expect you to just understand it with, with whatever it can mean. That's, in general, one of the difficulties of these securities exams is their liberal use of, not liberal, but their use of vocab and expectation that words can, you know, there's different ways to say the same thing and you got to recognize what the vocab is. Right. And, and I think too, you know, like like you had mentioned too, that you know the the other thing with with options, like you said, it's all about language, but it's also about flow of funds, right? I always tell everybody, think about the money, who's getting what, right? Buyers are paying, sellers are collecting, and if you can remember that, it helps you kind of look at what's happening on each side of the fence. Because if we know what's happening on the buyer side, so if the buyer is going to make three hundred dollars in this transaction, well, then guess what? The seller is going to lose $300 in that transaction. So there's always a winner and a loser, but they will both win and lose the same amount of money. Mm -hmm. Right. That's the crazy thing. And that's where everybody's like, when I say that to them, sometimes you see the light bulb go off. Wait a minute. So hold on a second. I can do it from either side. And then they start thinking about it that way. You know, Mm -hmm. because for some people, it's easier to think about it as a buyer. For some people, it's easier to think about it as a seller. So for me, it was all about drawing the T-chart. You know, just drawing the T-chart and having the plus on one side, the negative on one side, and just putting it in. Who paid the premium? Okay, if it went to this much, how much did they make? And then you have your T-chart. You have three on the negative, seven on the plus. You do the quickest math ever, and you're like, plus 400. That's the gain in the situation. And the T-charts really saved me when I was learning options. Yeah, definitely. And any contract that's in the money will always be exercised in the test. (laughs) Yes. yes. There are no. There's no charity in the in the no. test. They are not going to forget about their options that will make them money. No. And it's it's. I think again in terms of the the proportion of questions, I think it's one of the larger sections that you get on the mm-hmm. seven. So you know, it's it's definitely an area to focus on. And, on the seven, you're proficient at it for the seven. For the seven, on the, the SIE not so much. SIE is is a little bit more in terms of you know the basics. But well, what's what's know. interesting about the SIE is. You know, I always get feedback from students after they take the exams. Sometimes there's a lot, you know, a decent amount of basic options questions on the SIE. Sometimes there's like one or two. It's it's not so uh, consistent on how heavily options are tested on the SIE. But on the seven, very heavily tested. You can guarantee that. 
Gotta love Finra for that. So <laughs> Yep. Yep, they want you to know it frontwards and backwards, but it's probably good. <laughs> well, great. Thank you very much. This has been Achievable's Finra Podcast, hosted by Tyler from Achievable, with Jason and Andrew from Ibis Prep. Achievable has courses for the FINRA SIE, Series 6, 7, 63, 65, and 66, and you can try them out by for free by visiting our website, achievable.me. Thanks so much.